Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Gabby, I want to start this episode by having you maybe explain something to me about your job. So how do you do an investigative report? Oh gosh, do people really want to hear that? Go on for 30 minutes if (laughs) you can, please. Okay, (laughs) I'll try to keep it to the bullet points. I mean, our job starts right with a tip. Usually somebody calls or emails and says, hey, you should look into XYZ. And I'll read the tip. If it's worthy of research, I'll go and, you know, pitch it to my bosses or maybe do some pre-research. A lot of research. You'll hear that word a lot. So um, I organize all of my investigations in usually electronic folders. And then I have like a running Google Doc where I create a timeline of events of when I made phone calls, when I sent emails or huh. when specific things in the story took place. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, interviews and then I transcribe all those interviews so that I can also read them and kind of piece the puzzle together, if you will, at the end. And when I'm ready to put together an investigation for air, it goes through a lot of fact checking. So double, triple, quadruple checking that I've got all my facts right, that I can back up every line in an investigation with usually a document or some sort of thing that I can say, you know, this is factual. Yeah. So interesting. A lot of double checking, triple checking things. Along the way, I, I gather that a lot of it is, you know, you're grabbing paperwork, you're making sure that you can find it once again. You have video, I'm sure you have maybe audio files, interviews, a ton of stuff that all comes into these electronic folders, as you described. Yes. A lot of organizing. And so it's not easy or fast, I would imagine. Uh, usually investigative reports, not as quick as sometimes we would like them to be. Okay. But I mean, we've done day turns, weeks, months. Sometimes I've spent years. Good gracious. That's happened before. The reason why I ask is because how a person operates and stays organized, uh, whether it's for a news story, a research report, could be even something like planting your garden How you stay organized, it matters a lot. And that simple principle also holds true for police and prosecutors, particularly in New Mexico's largest and busiest city in terms of criminal law, that being Albuquerque. And court cases, criminal cases, they're complicated. Meanwhile, what we've heard from local and criminal justice leaders in recent past about how they compile all their records, data, and evidence, that's been outdated for a while. In today's court system that's chock full of deadlines, heavy caseloads for prosecutors, and paperwork that might get misplaced or go missing, that can lead to major problems. So in Bernalillo County, it turns out that problems with evidence are what's sometimes referred to as discovery. It's led to cases being dismissed or maybe even needing to be refiled or criminal suspects in some cases being released because of dismissals. And that's all because of what can amount to organizational problems, as we understand. So how do you fix something like that? Well, police and prosecutors, they hope they have the answer in the form of a new technology. It's something called Case Catcher. It's a new program of sorts built by New Mexico Tech, a university in Socorro, The program is housed in the DA's office and aims to reform a fundamental piece of police work that is gathering information for criminal investigations. With us today to talk about it is a return guest, someone who's also seen the development of this technology through 
Now a deputy commander for Albuquerque Police, Kyle Hartsock. Thanks for coming back. Uh, Nice to see you guys. Yes, absolutely. Well, we're glad to see you and be able to talk about this. But before getting into what Case Catcher does, I do want to establish something really unique about this program. As we understand, it was an initiative started in the Bernalillo County District Attorney's Office, but through a grant that comes from what may feel like a really unlikely place, that being a grant given by the feds to the Greater Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce. So, Kyle, if you can maybe tell us a little bit about the beginnings of this, as I understand, you were working as a cop around the time that this started in the DA's office. And as I understand, the chamber was basically asking the DA's office, quote, what's the biggest inefficiency in holding offenders accountable? What do you remember about the beginnings of this? Well, it was really, you know, at the time, DA Raul Torres, who was getting asked that question. And you got to remember when he came to office, he came into a building that was quite literally physically stacked of boxes of papers through hallways and walkways and offices converted to storage just from the sheer amount of case paperwork. And a lot of it was police generated case paperwork, but it was physical pieces of paper. So his answer to the Chamber of Commerce at the time was the method in which we get discovery from police into our building is highly inefficient. It's so inefficient that he had to start a warehouse team that just scanned all those documents and had to put them in the right folders. That, That took years to do, and that's doing it on all the old cases, not even the new ones that were still coming in. I mean, it was still at the time a physical basket you would drop paper clipped folders uh, or papers into with like a case number on it from Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office, from APD, from Sandia Pueblo Police, from New Mexico State Police, from Isleta Police. Everyone's got a different format. I mean, in in a way, we're lucky that there's only seven or eight police agencies that report to the DA's office. I visited uh, Houston's DA's office back in 2019, Harris County, and they have close to 80 police agencies that submit oh police gosh. arrest reports wow. to one prosecutor's office. They got to deal with 80 different formats and contacts over there. Wow. So that's why I think to him, and he said it you know, last week, it was, an, it was an easy answer. That sounds overwhelming. Eventually, this all leads to the creation of this technology that we're talking about today, a program called Case Catcher. Can you describe to us a little bit more about what it does exactly? What is Case Catcher and how does it work? Well, I mean, in in its most basic explanation, it is a web-based software tool that allows police just to upload the electronic versions of evidence directly into a system that prosecutors can just see. And from their system, they can just easily hit a button and share it with defense attorneys. So it requires virtually no printing of documents at all, which, you know, it's 2023. We got to figure that one out. It also allows no no copying of CDs and DVDs, which, again, it's 2023. We got to figure that out. We got to stop (laughs) doing that. Blu-rays of failed technology. Um, and we don't even need external hard drives that cost, you know, even at a bulk rate, $80, $90 every time to put a murder case on because a murder case will generate so much discovery appropriately, but so much discovery, you know, even us buying dozens and hundreds of hard drives also isn't efficient. And guess what? APD would buy one for our murder case. We would hand it off to the DAs. Well, guess what? They need three of them, three copies. Oh, gosh. One for the prosecution team, one for the defense, and, you know, one just for, like, good luck. I don't know. But now (laughs) they got to buy three 
they, they're labeling these things with like sticky notes or putting them in like accordion binders. Just you have a high error rate of like losing things, misidentifying things. When it was CDs, you would just have to eventually plug in 30 different CDs and DVDs into a computer and be like, what's on this? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, this is already on disc 13. But is all of it on disc 13? I don't know. Let's just keep giving everything over. And what that leads to do is even for the defense, right? You know, they have a right to defend their client and ensure their constitutional rights are being upheld. And that's really important. We're making them have to take even longer to do it too. This all slows the system down. It slows the defense down. The state judges have a hard time even understanding what all the evidence is in a case because the prosecutors and defense might not even understand what all of the evidence is in a case. So case catcher is going to help simplify that, that there's a single point that we just digitally upload things. They get labeled instantly. This is a police report. This is a DNA report. This is body cam footage so that everything's in more clear buckets. Those buckets are then shared and everyone has access to it much quicker. It seems hard to overstate just how important that is, that organizational method of going electronic versus the physical is because yeah, when you're talking about physical CDs, they can get scratches on them. You can lose them. So many other things can happen to physical media, but it seems really hard to overstate the idea of just how important that is. It is. And even, you know, when I got hired by APD and and was, you know, a big part of the homicide investigations, one of the things that I started to institute and now is more normal is uh, we got to get away from just taking CDs and pieces of paper and putting them into these like accordion folders of storage um, and and then saying, hey, I'll organize it later. Um, that doesn't work at home in our closet or our garage or our car. I don't know why we think it'll work here. So it, what we did is change the culture that it needs to be done immediately. When you interview someone, I, I need that interview written up within a day. If you take a, something from them, by the next day, you've written about it and you've placed that, whether it's evidence or not, you've placed it where it needs to go. Is it just a receipt? Once you scan it and upload it to our system, which allows you to attach documents to it, for example, is it video surveillance? Upload it to evidence.com where we pay Axon a lot of money to store all of our video, right? Just put it up there. Don't, don't keep it on that thumb drive that the business gave you. Just put it on the cloud right this second. We've now invested in a cool digital evidence system called Guardian, which allows these really large phone extractions, which are sometimes up to like 30 gigabytes in size now when we dump someone's phone. It can go up into a secured cloud. Um, the officer can now review the phone dumps through a browser. We don't even have to have special software on the computers anymore. And when we're done, it just gets shared with the DA's office via a link. Um, so there, the technology exists. It's just getting our, our detectives and professional staff on board to know how to use that technology. And, you know, I loved your example of how you do investigative reports. You could, you could be a cop tomorrow, except you would not be used to the fact that you would have to turn all of your sources and notes over so that the person who is a subject of your story could learn exactly how you did it. That's what we have to do. That's the big difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, The constitution says we're the government. We got to turn it over. Starting an investigation is real similar for police, but that, that back end is different. And, you know, not only case catcher, that's why APD has the shield unit. We decided, hey, um, even though cops think they're great at everything, right? Maybe we're not. 
And maybe we should just uh, give some of these things to other professionals that are going to do a really good job. And the Shield Unit is a great example. It's 12 professionals who just work on getting all of this discovery, ripping it out of cops' hands sometimes. Give me that. Mm-hmm. Scanning it and then getting it to the DA's office. And they're the ones that are going to, by and large, use Case Catcher. This replaces what has historically been an ad hoc, often chaotic, imprecise, often paper-based process. The old way of doing things, I mean, it's the transfer of physical information seemingly worked for years. Today, it's kind of obvious why it's so problematic. And then you think about the price of just storage of media, right? Why do you think it took so long to get here? You mentioned it's 2023. Well, I think there's lots of reasons. Um, You know, part of it is just government and police understanding but modern technology can do for us, we're always on the low end of that bell curve. Um, we're not generally early adopters into things like this. Yeah, there's also federal uh, requirements on how you store private information of the public. Um, and they're called CJIC requirements, and it is federal law that says, you know, you can't put social security numbers that you take from someone on a police report in some area unless you meet all these requirements. Uh, So some tools don't meet that requirement. Some of these companies that, while are very good for a private individual, they're based out of Eastern European countries that aren't subject to United States federal court orders or government share agreements. Um, So you've got to be cautious with some of that stuff because this is private individuals' very sensitive information. But I'll say this too, and you kind of started with it, it's, it's so important, not just because we don't want cases dismissed, like that is really important, but what's bigger on my mind, and I talked to them about this a lot when I was over homicide, um, while I want to arrest everyone that I, we think committed a murder, what I really don't want to do is arrest the wrong person. And um, historically, if you look at persons who got released from prison after being convicted for murder, not sharing all the discovery is a common pattern that emerges right? Um, it's called exculpatory information. It's, it's not sharing the evidence that we think would hurt our case, um, that you would see police and prosecutors not disclose those things. And you see prosecutors, they'll point their fingers at the police. Well, the police never told us that that interview happened. Um, and judges, for the most part, don't care. They're like, prosecution, I don't care if they didn't tell you. It's still your obligation to get all the information and turn it over because a defense lawyer had a right to review it. So, you know, that's what I definitely don't want. I mean, I'd like to charge everyone, but I'd rather have when I end my career never to be associated with a wrongful conviction, especially for a heinous crime like murder, which someone's going to go to prison for 30 plus years in New Mexico. And I, I couldn't live with that. I can, I can live why I don't love it with maybe not solving every case. I would hate to be associated with a case where I knew or could have probably known that this was a bad arrest. Can you maybe give us an example? Because we hear it broadly, right? It leads to cases being dropped or dismissed. But maybe do you have an example or, or something you can think of in your career where you saw a case kind of fall apart because of discovery-related issues like this, something that Case Catcher would address? Well, I can't think of like specific examples because a lot of times by the time the prosecutor realizes they're missing some discovery, it kind of gives them like two roads here, right? They're like, okay, crossroad just happened. We didn't turn something over. It's generally a forensic report. That's, that's a big one. Like some kind of analysis was done 
And those take weeks and months. Mm -hmm. You know, all the police reports that were written the day of, that's pretty easy. Right. All the body cam, it's automatically uploaded. That's pretty easy. Generally, it's a, you know, we had a DNA person look at something or we analyzed a cell phone or the cell phone took six months to break into and then another two months to write a report. It's those types of reports that sometimes escape the normalcy of getting into a prosecutor's hand. But when a prosecutor discovers it, they kind of have two options. One, uh, they're on timelines. They have deadlines to turn these things over. If they're past that deadline, they have to decide, well, I can dismiss the case and refile it, reindict the person, which will restart my clock. But if I dismiss it, if they're in jail, they get out of jail. This could be a really dangerous person. Or they had conditions of release that were maybe kind of making us feel better that they were out. They're, those are all going to drop off. How is the victim going to react to us dismissing this case over, you didn't get us a three-page PDF in time, right? Or two, it makes them uh, offer a plea deal that they didn't really want to have to offer. Um, where they're like, man, now I'm not going to get some really good evidence in. A jury's never going to hear about it. They might just not convict or we get a hung jury, and that's a really bad outcome. Let's see if we can maybe plea this out sooner to avoid that. It sounds like, though, this is all very much stuff that has happened and has led to real-life consequences in criminal cases. Absolutely, it has. And that's why, you know, DA Torres at the time correctly identified it as a big problem. If we can't get discovery organized and efficiently handed over, we're going to give worse plea deals uh, than what we would have gotten with stronger evidence or outright just dismissal of a case. This solution puts an end to the paper chase that has defined the dysfunction inside the criminal justice system. And this solution should lead to stronger cases, a higher rate of conviction, um, and better outcomes and ultimately justice for victims. And that's what we are all about. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk just a bit more about who will use this system and what's next in its rollout. We're back with more in just a moment. We're back here with Kyle Hartsock, Deputy Commander for Albuquerque Police. You eventually left the DA's office to work for Albuquerque Police, and you now in part lead the department's SHIELD unit, which you mentioned briefly. Can you explain to us what is this unit and how do they use Case Catcher? Well, SHIELD started in uh, about 2018, so it was before I came over, uh, but it's a great idea. And, you know, some of the background story I get, it, it started off kind of like, you know, its, it's origin story isn't great. It was mostly because the DA's office pointed a lot of fingers at APD and APD pointed a lot of fingers at the DA's office. Mm -hmm. And this was under prior district attorneys before DA Torres, before, you know, Chief Medina, even his predecessor were really there. And so they said, we got to have a better way because right now we're having, you know, detectives and officers basically, you know, nearly skirmishing with assistant district attorneys. And this is just no good. Uh, so it was created to create a, a buffer in there and let's just have some full-time dedicated professional staff start handling all of this process because to the cop, a lot of the times, and this was me too, when I was with the sheriff's office, I'm busy. Right. Why do you need me to go down and make a copy of a CD at the evidence unit and drive it to you? I mean, I'm guilty of sending emails to the DA's office. Basically, um, you know, you have paralegals go do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. 
this is like it was like a real thing because I'm like that case is like seven months old. I've, I'm doing so many other things right now. I don't want to be bothered with this. And that was the wrong attitude by me, by the way. Um, so APD says, let's make the shield unit. Let's hire some people maybe with paralegal or our ADA type experience in those offices so they can speak that language a little bit. And let's just have them be in charge of getting this all over. Now, again, it was still, you know, paper copies. It was binders. And what APD did at the time was create a lot of logs. What did we give you? When did we give it to you? Because you got to remember the the origin story, Mm -hmm. right? Don't you point your finger at me. I'm going to... Poke you. Yeah. So it was lots of like, let's log everything. And so even as I came over this unit in January, when I met with them, and again, they're an outstanding group of people. And my supervisor, Alicia Farley, is really, really in tune with everything they're doing. But a lot of it is just logging what we gave. Case Catcher is just going to do that for us. Mm. Right. I don't need a separate Excel sheet. It's the Case Catcher will just know. What day and time was a thing uploaded? This is just very easy database technology, right? This doesn't take, you know, a rocket scientist to figure out, but with government, you need grants and MOUs and everything done. And so that's where it's just going to be huge. It's going to free up my shield team to focus more on the speed and efficiency of gathering those items, helping making sure they're perfectly organized, and then putting them up into the case catcher cloud for the prosecution and knowing that things are just logged already. We don't, we don't need to do anything separate. During our building of this tool, we had a chance to speak to a number of police and prosecutors in our area. We talked to one uh, police officer, we asked him from one of the area law enforcement agencies that refers cases to the DA's office, how does this process work? And he said, well, after we've made an arrest, we get in front of our computer and we print all the documents, sometimes burn CDs, if you can believe that, put it all in a folder like this, get in our car, drive downtown, walk into the first floor of the DA's office, put it in a bin, walk out, go back to the office, new reports come in. I said, what happens then? He said, well, we hit print, we put it in a folder like this, we drive downtown and we walk in the first floor and we drop it in a box at the DA's office and walk back out and we do it as many times as it takes in order to get as much information at the DA's office as possible. That's just one example. There are many other examples. And it sounds like from what we heard in the news conference announcing Kate Scatcher is that um, the folks in the DA's office will still be creating each case or initiating sort of each case. But another big part of this, as I understand, is that and it's perhaps it's people from the shield unit, but people at least from the police department are now going to be working in the same building, right, as the DA's office. Yeah, so this is, you know, I, I brought this idea up to Chief Medina, right, when he asked me to, he tasked me with, let's get S.H.I.E.L.D. working even better than before. And it timed up with D.A. Bregman getting appointed by the governor. And it was actually at D.A. Bregman's kickoff conference, press con- really fun press conference in terms of, like, government press conferences. Yeah. yeah. Dave Bregman has some fun press conferences. It was yeah, different. Some for colorful sure. language. Yeah. And and I'm a Dodgers fan. He's obviously an Astros fan. So, you know, we have our differences. But I brought him aside and I said, and it was, you know, two weeks into January, but I was, I, I want to put Shield over here because what they do is so in line with what you guys are already doing. And your office doesn't necessarily have the same access to our police systems. And while it'd be great if we could just open all the databases up. Again, there's all these security requirements. What if my people were just here and your attorneys can just go up and ask them a question Mm -hmm. and they can, there's no formal email system. You guys get to know each other. 
let's let's speed this up. And then the second part of it is the DAs has a, a meeting every morning where they have to decide, for the most part, what are we doing with these new felony cases? Which, you know, much like you guys write a new stories, what, what reporter am I giving the story to? What gets priority? What, what's get priority? Uh, who do we file detention on? Who should we just plea out today? Let's just, in this case, it's more advantageous now because APD is part of that meeting, not to sway judgment, to give more information. Prosecutors are limited to a criminal complaint only, which is, for those who don't know, just the one single document a cop has to write to charge someone with the crime. And they're, they can be written a bit cold and uh, are sterile, maybe yeah. is a better word. Yes. Clinical is a good word. Read many of them, and you can tell the difference uh, between officers who are really good at them and officers who maybe need some help. Yeah, on such and such day, and you know, eventually ChatGPT will write our complaints for us, but it's not there yet. <laughs> That's the next episode, by That's the way. The next yeah, episode. stay tuned. Um, so there's there's defendants sometimes who get arrested by our Southeast problem response team officers, but the day before in the Southwest part of Albuquerque. That guy's ex-girlfriend called and said, he just broke my door to come in and stole a gun out of the back bedroom. And the next day he did something unrelated. Well, he left before the officers got to the Southwest address, but officers caught him in the Southeast. The DA's office only sees the one arrest on the sterile non-GPT complaint. They have no idea that he also did this other thing the day before, right? They will now. This is going to arm them with better information to make the dangerous and detention decisions for a judge. And then we can also present it to a judge, right? Judge, this isn't even the only case. There's another one. We just approved an arrest warrant. He has this case too. This is two days in a row. He did these things, et cetera, et cetera. That's the idea is we want to, we want to increase the amount of persons that detention is being filed on and we want to win more mm-hmm. right now. It's about 12 or 13% of felonies have that motion filed on it. Chief Medina wants to see it increase significantly, but it's not just file the motion. We want to win the motion. And it's not APD in that courtroom. It's those prosecutors. I had the benefit of going to DA university for three years when I worked there. That's what I call it. It's like the three-year program. We have to give them evidence. Argument isn't enough. You know, judge, he could be, no, no, no. We're going to show you. We want to show you this evidence. Uh, Show the surveillance video that got uploaded show the body cam of how they reacted to officers, right? Because one of the rules is, will they follow the rules if we let them out? Show them the SWAT team was there. Do you know how hard it is to get the SWAT team at your house? You really have to want it. If we already at that point that the SWAT team came out, do you think they're going to abide by a judge's order to you know, not do drugs or return to the victim's house? you got to be crazy. They wouldn't listen to police surrounding their house for six hours with armored vehicles, they, they don't give a crap what a judge puts on a piece of paper. So that's the kind of stuff that in the past, we generally, the DA's office would have no idea that the SWAT team had to arrest a guy. They just know he's at jail. So we are really excited that S.H.I.E.L.D. is in there, smooth some processes over and give the prosecutors even more information to detain more dangerous individuals in our community. And it sounds like DA Sam Bregman was receptive to your idea of placing the shield unit there. He was immediately receptive to it. It was more of just the logistics of like finding the space and will our computers work and do we use your paper or ours? Um, You know, um, very, very office government things. We at the district attorney's office want to make sure that every case we present to a jury, every case that we present to a jury 
is the best that it can possibly be. And this is going to help us. It's going to help us from the very beginning when we initiate a case all the way through. So as Chris mentioned, each case that's opened in this program that's usually done by prosecutors and it gets very specific. A specific charge is selected for the case. And then based on that selection, there are suggestions about what evidence to collect, right? Right. I mean, there is hardly anything original in the criminal justice world. It's literally all kind of been done before. Um, And that goes to how we investigate it, to generally what evidence we should expect to collect in most cases. And and the tool is smart enough to also understand some of those truths are the same. So it's, it's a great feature that should kind of key people off even if they themselves don't have a ton of experience in these cases of what what should you expect on a murder case or a carjacking case or a a simple, you know, burglary case. How helpful do you see that in terms of evidence collection? Because you've got more evidence, more cases just means more stuff. And so the idea of the suggestion here, here's what evidence to look out for. I'm just wondering, yeah, how helpful do you see that in terms of collection? And we deal with this with our detectives a lot, too. How do you know when to stop collecting evidence? Like, what is too much? I mean, I think you guys might deal with it, too. How do you know it's time to, like, run the story? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes your boss will just tell you when it's time, and then we're no different. Sometimes we have to tell the detectives, "You're, you're there. You need nothing else. I need you to turn that thing in um, because you can run endlessly around in circles um, uh, collecting it. So I I bring that up first to answer your question because it's subjective. I think it will be helpful as a guide, as a tooltip, right? But it's still not going to be like completely um, covering everything you always need um, because every case is different and you know, we deal with this a lot with like crime numbers and stat meetings, which there's no shortage of them at a police department, but how they don't always tell the story. A lot of times you kind of need to read the narrative of the police report to really understand the context in which a person was associated with a crime. Um, you know, I, I finally remember they, someone made a list based on, you know, whatever, 100,000 APD reports, like who shows up the most and what context, like, you know, can the algorithm figure it out. And they gave it to me and my unit at the time. And uh, the number one guy was a loss prevention officer at Dillard's. And he's in a ton of police reports. Well, because yeah. he calls police a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. With no other context, he's like, you know, is he a problem? Right. right. And so sometimes those things miss, miss that stuff. And I don't think software really can totally fix that yet, which is why it's a guide. It's going to be helpful. And really, and you guys talked about earlier, it's going to be uniform. It should be consistent across the board. Um, a prosecutor should always know what folder to click on to find a thing. Because I bet the way that Gabby, you organize your cases is different than him mm-hmm. and everyone else, you know, in, at your station. Right. And that's very human and very normal. Um, but with police, we got to be careful because we might miss the lead on a case that solves it by our poor organization. We might not turn something over, whether it's purpose or not, that could actually prove the guilt or innocence of somebody we charge, and that's serious. Uh, So the consequences are much, much more severe if police do this wrong. And they've never wanted to do it poorly. They always want to do it great. It's just a matter of, well, what's the best system? What's the most consistent system? And we're pretty confident this is a big step forward. And APD is now using this tech, correct? It is. Yeah, we've already been testing it with a couple of the shield employees, but now we're fully moving them all into it. Uh, so we were using both systems for a while with a few employees, which is double the work, but 
you know, let's just use both. But now we're going to stop using that old system and fully use the case catcher system. With new programs like this, I, I think it's always important to ask, you know, how sustainable is this? I understand New Mexico Tech helped build it. There's some infrastructure stuff that probably goes into it. It's probably like cloud storage, I imagine, goes into some of this. Is this something that you think can continue to be able to be used, to be maintained over all the coming years, um, even as it is this homegrown program? It's a great question. And I brought this up right away when I kind of took over Shield as a, you know, once the grant's up, who's maintaining this? Because it's software and there's no piece of software that's done. Unless, I don't know, you guys are running Windows 98 in here or something. (laughs) There's probably a server somewhere in one of the back rooms that does, I'm sure. (laughs) That we have more at the city. But, you know, it has to be updated. we're going to find bugs or we're going to want features. Um, that, that grant is out. It doesn't cover that anymore. So that's something that we have to work on is finding new sources of either funding or developers that can help be responsive to it. And uh, Mexico Tech is committed to still help with the tool, but you know, I'm not ignorant enough to believe that they can just do unlimited amounts of work on it, which is why over the past several months we've been testing it. You know, definitely when I came on, I said, I need us testing it daily right now. Break it. I told my team, break it, break their tool, make it not function. Um, and if you can't, then I feel better. And if you can, I feel better because we'll know. So I told them, start to dive in, get, get deep on it. And then the confidence level started to rise on both sides. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you that you wanted to share about the program? I'm optimistic that it's going to be successful. Um, but it's a lot of cases, you know, there, there's 10 to 25 new people arrested for felony charges every day in Albuquerque just by the Albuquerque Police Department. The Sheriff's Department arrests some, other agencies arrest some. Those numbers add up significantly. Um, so I'm hopeful that it helps clear that backlog a little bit. And again, at the end of the day, I want the prosecutors to have everything they need to make the argument in court. and. You know, we were talking about trials before we started recording here, but if you have all the right evidence to them and they can present it to a jury, and that's what lawyers are paid to do is they tell stories to storytellers. I'm a fact finder. They're a storyteller. Um, we get good outcomes for victims. And uh, if you're a victim of a crime or your loved one was killed, um, what happened to you or them is very simple. What happened? Like, it's very plain what happened. Our job is to make it as plain all the way through the system as best we can. Deputy Commander Hartsock, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Always interesting to hear about new technology and how it's being implemented. Deputy Commander Kyle Hartsock is clearly one of those people who cares about seeing if things can be done a little bit more efficiently. So always appreciate him coming and chatting with us about new tech APD is using. As Kyle was saying, a lot of times government agencies are the last to adopt updated software. So um, this sounds like a big step forward from them and something that, you know, by all accounts and descriptions was badly needed. For those who don't know, Chris is like our unofficial IT guy here at KRQE. If you have a tech problem or an issue with your computer, I might have seen him in Larry Barker's office a time or two helping helping Larry with his computer, but he does it for all of us people. We've helped print some documents, that <laughs> is for sure. So, 
Uh, yeah, email me with your tech problems or maybe don't. Um, at chris.mckee <laughs> at krqe.com and then also at Chris McKee TV on social media. And I'm Gabrielle.Burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.